0: Welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast, where I interview treasury professionals about their treasury careers. Each and every week, I talk to treasurers about how they built their careers, where they are now, and where they see both themselves and the treasury profession going to next. In this week's show, I'm delighted to be joined by Severin Leblenik, the Senior Director at Europe, Middle East, and Africa Treasury at Honeywell. So, for those that don't know, Honeywell International is an American multinational. They're a conglomerate that produced commercial engineering, aerospace. Now, Severin actually explained a bit more about the company because they've spun off a number of companies recent times and, you know, rejigged it and everything else. But Severin herself, she supports over 460 affiliates in 55 countries. She runs the in-house bank for the group. She's also the global lead for treasury technology as well. And she actually joined Honeywell way back in 2006. So she ran the in-house bank, all these different projects, cash management, investments, EU, regulations, the lot. And she's got real I know, understanding when we spoke recently for Treasury Technology. So we'll get into that. Also Severin and the team, they've won a number of different awards. I think it's great recognition for them. But as I say each and every week, you know, that's enough for me. Let's get Severin talking about Perhaps you could take us back to the dim, distant past of when you first ever discovered finance and treasury and how you first ever started, if you would, over to you.
1: Well, I started indeed in finance. Uh, I studied uh, finance, so I wanted a finance job. And more or less, when I started, I took the first finance job that was uh, suggested to me. Probably I should have asked more questions at the time because I quickly got bored in that environment. And despite uh, looking for more assignments, I could see that uh, I could not develop myself enough in that company. So I stayed for six months, which was what they had uh, asked me to, to commit at minimum. And then very quickly, uh, I fell into treasury by chance by complete chance. At the time, it was in uh, 1999. I didn't, honestly, despite my finance studies, I did not really understand and know what treasury was. It was still the, the inception. I felt quite well as I arrived at uh, GMAC Treasury Center. So it was the financial arm of General Motors, a pretty big treasury where, where treasury was basically uh, the coal in the machine because the activity was close to a bank activity where you, you lend money to uh, to people and collect from from the banks started a bit by chance and, and very quickly uh, I felt in that's a place I like. Uh, very dynamic, a lot to learn, moving environment, speaking with many kinds of different stakeholders, very creative. And uh, yeah, my passion is still there after that many years. And I really don't think of myself going out of treasury.
0: And when you were there, you, were, you, you sort of started in the Brussels Centre. And a lot of people will know, but some of them, perhaps the US listeners won't understand so much, that Brussels and Belgium is a big hub. You know, there are a number of treasury hubs there. So you were Working for GMAC, the U.S. corporate, what was the sort of structure there and coming in, you come into the Brussels Center. How were they structured? You know, what was the, you know, were you all things to everyone except for North America or how how did it work?
1: So we were pretty independent. We had a 14 billion balance sheet uh, managed out of uh, Europe. You had the in-house bank as well. uh, At the time, it was before the euro. So uh, lots of effects between European uh, currencies and also other currencies. And uh, when I arrived, we were seven people. I stayed there for seven years. And when I left, we were 14. Uh, There was Definitely an increased complexity in the job, in the company, given that it was the time that the auto industry went into trouble, and does the financing too. So when I arrived, they were A1, P1, mostly funded. It was half-half capital market and bank funding, but with a huge unused bank capacity. And as the ratings got affected due to car business, not due to the GMAC business, but still, mm. we had to be ever more creative, so we entered into a new products like securitization. We did a, a first one billion deal uh, in Europe. It was uh, pretty innovative and then negotiating some kind of secured lines with the banks that never done before. So uh, it was very interesting as, because I, I grew from uh, back office to front office to negotiating credit lines to securitization to those secured uh, lines. So I, I followed basically the the hotspots of the company over those seven years. But it was a very small structure with lots of responsibility and lots of freedom. We were, Of course, we had regular daily contacts with, with, with our colleagues in the US, but a lot of autonomy, which I think was really beneficial because the, 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 the European market is, is so different from the US market, especially in that respect.
0: And when you say it's different, what, what do you mean by that? Is it, you know, there's a lot more cash management, domestic cash over there, or is it, the, you know, there's a lot more capital raising? What do you mean? What's the contrast?
1: So. Definitely there is more cash, cash management in Europe, but when I was at GMAC, that was not the aspect that was uh, the most important. But uh, we relied a lot more on uh, uncommitted credit lines with banks, a lot of bilaterals. We did also private placements. So a lot more variety in the funding types. The capital markets themselves are also more different, are also different. For instance, the ECP market is not a market with ultra short maturities like you can have in the US. So it's a, it's a different way of working with a lot more different counterparties we were working with 80 different banking groups right often we were bigger than the banks we were borrowing money from we were imposing Mm. our documentation Mm. to borrow money from the banks it was so it it was really interaction with a lot a lot of different people and the ability to uh, customize and not have just one size fits all approach Right We were really uh negotiating with each bank to understand what were their constraints, and so in some countries there it was easier for them to lend us money than other countries, depending on on their own structure, depending on our structure, because in some countries we had the status of a bank, so for ratios, it was different for them and sometimes some banks wanted to give us a big line and preferred us to use it. Some banks wanted to give us a line and preferred us not to use it unless we needed it, so really a lot of uh moving parts while in the US they were mostly focused on capital markets and syndicated credit lines that are mostly backstop facilities and securitization uh, that was also very interesting. That's what I mean with differences in the markets.
0: Yeah, and you were there sort of coming on seven years and you, your first real start in treasury became an analyst and then senior treasury analyst and took on things. Before we move on to, you know, you joined Honeywell, a lot of the listeners to the show, they'll be in a similar situation. they will be maybe a treasury analyst in Belgium or Luxembourg or everything else, and they're sort of trying to make their an impression and they're trying to sort of develop their careers. What sort of advice would you give those guys at that early stage What were you like as a treasure analyst coming up through the sort of the function and coming up through the the company? What was your ethos?
1: What I really liked at the time was really the fact that I was every time in the hotspots, right? When I was there, when we launched the ECP uh, program, well, that was exciting. We had Mm. a lot of new processes, how do you manage all those workflows, we were all in Excel, right? At the time you had to to pre-advise payments to banks, sorts of bureaucracy that we needed to, to make right because it was really big figures every day, then, uh, you know, that was the the most exciting, to be able really uh, to be, when it was the point where things were happening, that's where I was. So, and it just was very natural, right? It it was not uh, by uh, design as such, but just because I was open and listening and I understood that how, okay, now this is getting interesting, when there were opportunities, I just, you know, put up my hand and say okay, uh, yeah, I would be interested in learning and and helping out there, and I only got, uh, yes, it's uh, really The ability to understand that the market moves and how this is impacting the company and how we can help adapt to to make uh, our job really key and adding value, especially in a company where funding is, as I said, their prime material, Mm. to get money in to be able to lend it out. I think probably what they liked in me and why they moved me up, it's because I was very creative and not afraid of of changes and and Mm. reassessing all the time, what were the possibilities at that specific time
0: and then you made the move across to Honeywell how did that come about and how did you you went in there as the manager when you joined but quite rapidly got promotion and things was that on the cards from day one or you know you joined Honeywell way back in 2006 so what 13 years ago now perhaps talk about mm-hmm. you know how how they sort of dragged you kicking and screaming out of GMAC how did it happen how did you uh, get the role at Honeywell?
1: On the first side, on, on one side at GMAC, they had told me, Severin, you've moved around. You've seen everything here in the ETC. We would like to move you forward. Tell us where you want to go, where at GM, at GMAC, where in the world to do what, and we'll probably will be able to accommodate, but let us know. And then I looked at what was possible for me in the company. I really, I was in love and passionate with by, by treasury. So I decided I wanted to stay in treasury. I was interested also in investors relations, but, you know, being a woman out auto- of of, of Europe, I didn't think I was probably the best person to carry that kind of job. Then in terms of location, there was Australia. Very nice location, but pretty boring in terms of treasury. A lot less aryeky than in Europe. And then you had basically the head office in Detroit. For family reasons, Detroit really... Didn't match. My husband would have followed me, no problem. But I, I didn't think it was the good decision for him to go there. And so I was, I was in those thoughts when I was approached by by, by a headhunter for the position uh, at Honeywell. And my feelings was and 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 it got right because it's always difficult to assess from outside but that Honeywell was a strong treasury not a treasury where you know you're just a satellite of the CFO but a treasury where it's a real role of course we report to the CFO but it's, we are a real function with our own autonomy and responsibility and second it was flipping from the borrowing side to the cash side and cash management where I could learn more which I mean from start my goals in my professional career were work in finance and keep learning my life. So that was suiting me. It was not that easy to leave GMAC because I was emotionally really bound with the company. They had uh, treated me very well and I learned so much. I really had nothing to reproach. Uh, I worked very hard, but so much, I learned so much. But I thought it was really the the good thing to do uh, for me and for my career. And I also uh, understood uh, from my interview with my to-be boss, uh, Maria Street Dubois. That disposition would be what I wanted it to be, so uh, that I would keep in that with that flexibility, and that I wouldn't uh, just stop on one. Of course, I had a list of responsibilities, but this could expand. So I, I made the big jump, which was uh, with a few uh, sleepless nights to, to make the change. But I never regretted my decision.
0: And you joined Honeywell. What was Honeywell like at the time? And perhaps you could describe the business then, business now, and, and as it develops in the future, just again, people will have maybe heard the name, but they don't know mm-hmm. the company. Maybe you could explain for the, the mm-hmm. listeners who don't know about it. I mean, you're a massive global, 55 countries, but you know, what, what what's Honeywell about?
1: In total, Onewell was already in in more or less 100 countries. In EMEA, it was like, if I remember, 34 countries and around 350 affiliates, so slightly smaller than our present landscape, but nevertheless already a huge conglomerate, mostly in business-to-business. At the time, also a little bit in the business-to-consumer. Not a huge name in Europe on the street, given the the predominance of uh, business-to-business activities, but already uh, a huge conglomerate. I think over the years, we have been become ever more on the really the mega trends, on connectivity, on uh, uh, energy savings, and so it's, I think uh, portfolio is, is getting ever more close to things, I think, really exciting going on the market. It has become, of course, ever more uh, pressure, like everywhere, ever more pressure on productivity, on cost cutting. So you have to take that, right, and to some extent pushes us to, to be innovative because we have to do ever more, ever more, ever more, with ever less, ever less, ever less. So mm. There is no way out. than using technology, uh, revamping, uh, optimizing. If I look at the in-house bank, our metrics think are, are pretty impressive. We still manage an in-house bank with uh, one main person uh, doing the daily activities. And then we have the, the volume of transactions are more than tripled over the, the time that I've been here. So the company, uh, I think, is for shareholders <laughs> certainly a, a, a great pick. For employees, very challenging, very interesting. I think a company that is really a flagship. And and Treasury, over the years, I think we we, we have uh, won some recognition on the market. So it's very nice to see how we can be going in the right direction and get leverage and listening from from, uh, our peers and all our providers.
0: And I've got to say, I, I've known Severin for a number of years and uh, always admired the work you've done. And that's not just flattery, just because. One of the things we recently sat down and had a coffee, and one of the things that absolutely blew me away is some treasury directors I talk to, They, when they want to embrace technology and things, they bring in their system provider or they go get a couple of treasury systems managers, say, oh, yeah, implement this, implement this. That's not your ethos. You've always got down amongst it yourself. You've even recently done training courses yourself, so you understand about this robotics and process automation. And I was just like sitting there as I'm talking to a treasury director so said, yeah, yeah, no, I know how to use it, Mike, so I can actually tell people. I'm like, right, okay, so you really get what Perhaps you can explain to the to the listeners why you feel that's so important and, and how you've achieved that because, you know, you've really embraced it yourself on a personal level, not just – as a company. Perhaps you could explain that for the people listening in today.
1: Thank you. Well, I think it's, it's very important to have a strategy and a vision where you think you can go, what you can achieve, what are the pain points of the team, how you can help if you, if you have a good dialogue with them, you understand what they spend their time on, what are, what are the frustration points, etc. so that you know where to improve, where, where you should focus your attention on. And then, okay, you can, as you say, you can just rely on external providers. But I think to me, it's important to have a very pragmatic approach. The vision is the first step. But then being pragmatic and being able to dive into whatever details needed I think makes it something that is really useful. I would definitely not call me a, a, a geek or a very techy person by nature. So when I design a process, I design it thinking, okay, my grandmother should be able to understand how it works, right? Not my team as my grandmother, but so it means that it should be something extremely user-friendly and and light for the user. And you put all the complexity in the programming, in the design of the process, you put all the complexity behind so that afterwards for the user, it's so clear-cut, so simple that he wonders why it was not done before right? Mm. On RPA, like other topics, right? When I I see that there is something that I think, okay, RPA, I went to a seminar from Pricewaterhouse. They were speaking of RPA and AI for finance function. It was not at all directed at Treasury. It was just a a breakfast seminar very close by my office uh, early morning. Okay, I I, I just want to listen. I'm interested to see maybe there is something for us in there. And they were a little bit surprised by all my many questions as a Treasurer, but you know, it, it starts there, right? Trying to understand Understand what they do, what can be done, and okay, they've not done, they had not done anything about treasury. But very quickly, in in two, three days, I said, "Uh uh-huh, this could be for treasury. I have this topic that I think we could really apply to it." But where do I start? So I wanted to know better. I just called the people uh, at PwC and asked them, "How how can I learn? How can I? Where can I start?" And they gave me uh, this UiPath uh, Academy website, and that's where I started. And it's just for free, and it's just okay. It's uh, some uh, weekends, Sundays, and, and even nights, but getting an understanding on what can the tool really do By taking my my programmer uh, certificate, it was definitely pushing myself outside of my uh, responsibilities and comfort zone. But then you really understand what can be done. At Mm -hmm. the end, globally, it was another software that was selected, but it's all the same logic. So I can really know what are the possibilities of, of, of the tool. So, and, you know, I think each technology brings its own possibilities. If you want it to work, you need to be understanding it's just another language, Right? Mm. Just like mm. if you're have a, you're going to, to China, I cannot imagine living in China and not understanding sufficiently to understand what moves people, right? Mm. Same, it, it, it's a new technology, understand the language of that technology. What does it have in the guts, in its guts? And that's what I did. And in the meantime, uh, we have implemented some, some workflows that are really making the life of my senior treasury analyst a lot more interesting and efficient.
0: How how do they do that? What how does that work? If you like not I'm not talking about down in the nuts and bolts sort of thing, but more that mm-hmm. you know, people are listening in again, Oh, hang on, perhaps we should be thinking about this. How does it work in that sense? So
1: first you need to design your process. So mm-hmm that's the heart. That's the heart of any technology implementation I've done is revisit completely revisit your process having in mind what is the technology you're going to use. Mm -hmm. So I have a process that is very lean efficient, uh, that is user friendly, transparent, avoid any black box. If there is possibility of mistake, you must spend as much time on the possibilities of errors, what I call the unhappy flow, than on the happy flow. Right? If there is a mistake, what kind of mistakes could there be? What could be the cause? What could be the remediation so that if people get an alert it's not just an alert saying it doesn't work but saying okay we have this kind of problem and this is what you need to do to fix it so start with uh, you start with design a very good process and then because it's rpa you need to to break this process in very tiny small very small pieces that can be programmed. But RPA is a technology uh, which is not invasive, and it's just like you would show it to a child coming, or my grandmother again, (laughs) sitting next to me and say, okay, you take the mouse in your right hand, you click on the first number that you see there, you do copy, you go there, you do paste, you you have to break it into very small pieces like you would do uh, on someone without a brain. RPA, a robot does not have a brain. so It's it's very simple. Again, my grandmother has a brain, right? (laughs) But uh, So it's just the art of of making something very meticulous, Mm-hmm. First, know exactly what you want the process to do. Second, understand the pieces that are uh, sensitive. Uh, in treasury, you have to be very careful about the timing and the scheduling of the task. Of course, you have also to be very careful about controls, etc. Right? I think it's honest to me, this is not difficult, to be honest. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not difficult. It's just knowing what you want to do. And of course, if you start from a, from a situation where you don't have any basis, you, you don't start from doing all your treasury in Excel to RPA. Right? Mm-hmm. You need to use each technology for what this technology can bring you right? You can use interfaces, you can use a a TMS, you can use, you have have plenty of of various technologies that complement each other and you're not going to do RPA development for something that you can do, but RPA is really good when you need to navigate between different uh, systems to collate information from different sources, manipulate them a little bit, and then always keep in mind where do you want the human in the loop, right? Mm -hmm. To keep the control, to keep, to keep the essence of our job and the, the analysis part.
0: Yeah, that's great. I mean, and that's one of the things that you know, I think people listening, again, it blew me away when we were having our coffee recently and you were telling me how <laughs> you did this study and you know and everything else. And it goes back to this. You know, we've got so many treasurers listening. Oh, no, no, I have someone to do that for me. But you really understand it from A to Z. Not that you have to do it all yourself, but once you then mm-hmm. understand that, you can then, I think you said that once you understand it, then you can coach other people to do it. But unless you understand exactly. it, you can't. So yeah,
1: and you can challenge also the coder a lot more and mm. not take no for an answer. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. And certainly, uh, just a little bit more. You know, digging down into you being the the director there for Honeywell in Brussels. What, what's been happening? What have you? How have you seen? Obviously, there's been a lot of changes within Treasury, not least a lot of automation and everything else. But are there other ways that Treasury has changed in your time that you've been there since, so, you know, I mean, Crumbs is 13 years. So how has that changed? Also, maybe Honeywell's changed as well in that time, hasn't it?
1: Yes, yes. At Honeywell, we've had numerous acquisitions, some divestitures, recently huge spin-offs, so a lot of M&A activities, entering to new markets, uh, lots of markets in uh, Eastern Europe, in uh, in Africa, not always the easiest uh, ones, of course, over the uh, recent years. And as I said, our, our portfolio has become ever more connected, ever more a mix of hardware and software and, and, and on the, the mega trends in the world. In terms of treasury, we just... Uh, uh, discuss uh, technology that has been taking a lot more part, I think, in, in all uh, tre- treasuries around the world. The TMS have developed, you have a rise of, a lot of fintechs, you have RPA, AI soon, etc. The control environment has changed a lot, especially since I started at GMAC. At the time, you didn't even have Sarbanes Oxley. In terms of controls, uh, when you look back, you think, how is it I was doing all this myself? How <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> much of a trust they had, right? Regulations, of course, have had a, a huge impact as well on the corporate. Mm-hmm themselves, but on the banks being affected, and then of course, this changed their strategy and, and their product offering. Sanctions, there has been before, but definitely sanctioned countries and, and business, you, you can see that it's ever more difficult to manage. I think generally in Treasury, project management has become an ever bigger part of everyone's work at all level. People are and luckily getting a bit away from the transactional activities which still need to be, take place but when you put automation place you, it takes less of your time so it's more strategic. Now what, what remains and did not change it's still a, a people business right? where you need to be able to communicate with uh, bankers, with, with businesses with with IT, with tax with legal people uh, understand regulations etc so it, it remains a people business where you connect it with uh, a lot of different type of profile of people. This remains right to understand the the market trends and how the how to shape your your strategy in. In connectivity with all your stakeholders,
0: mm. and is that your favourite thing about the role? Would you say that you know all that relationship stuff? And
1: you got dates. me, <laughs> <laughs> you got me right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's that's what I love. It's it's this fun of, of, of talking IT with IT people, tax with tax people, etc. etc. I think it's really fun to understand everyone's needs and and be creative to make it work for everyone. Right. Uh, same with your team. Understand what moves them. What are their orders? What what are their priorities? in life? Or can we make them more, more, more happy at work, more efficient? I think that's the place for creativity. When you are the mix of all those different types of profile and needs and requirements, and of course the company requirements uh, to start with, I think it's definitely what I like, not to have just one type of uh, profile as, of interaction.
0: And with that team, I think you've got a team of eight, I think we spoke about before. What do you like as a boss? What do you like as a leader, manager, people person? I know you're very strong on those skills, but you talk about that then. Obviously, we, you know, we as the treasury recruitment company, we're very much into the people aspect and understanding mm-hmm. how you coach those guys. What sort of level, structure, and you know how do you get the best out of the treasury analyst and assistant through to you know, your deputy sort of thing, you know, how do you lead them?
1: I think it's it's an area where definitely uh, you improve all your life, right? I think it's and you need to adapt to to each person. Each person is different. Each person has a different profile, different set of of weaknesses and strengths. And you want to keep them, build on their strengths, and still try to improve slowly on their weaknesses. I think it's important to use the people on on what they are good at. You can of course make a very nice plan and think, okay, I'm going to put uh, X, Y, Z, blah, 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 a nice plan. But if this plan does not correspond to the people's appetite and, and and skills it won't work so you need to have sometimes the structure is, is a little bit weird but it fits the, the, the capabilities of, of the people and i try to me as as a manager i think it's important to be with a resource for them that they know they can come to me with whatever kind of issue and i'll be supporting them whether it's uh, giving them ideas on how to fix or if, if it's going uh, giving them support even on personal issues i think it's very important generally speaking when when i hire i really focus on the soft skills i want people to be working well together the technical skills you can always learn them to someone mm-hmm. it's very easy when you i have typically have everything we do here is very well documented so that we don't have this black box effect on technology it's very easy when someone brings brought in to get him up to speed it takes a bit of time but You always manage that. The soft skills are are the piece where that makes a difference and that makes the team spirit very important. And that's also where I spend, in fact, most time with my team. And and it's the most difficult to change, to Mm -hmm. be honest, Mm -hmm. right? But it's uh, so nice when you see people developing, when you say, okay, when that person came in, he knew that and was able to do that kind of things, and now that's where they are. And it's mm. very important in a company like Honeywell, where you are always challenged to do more, and where the, the level of sophistication of the job is evolving any day, right? Mm. So mm. you need the team to be able to follow that uh, that rhythm, very intense rhythm.
0: Where do you see Treasury developing? Where, where do you see the future of Treasury?
1: Treasury, yes. Technology, it will remain a way to be able to assess and, and, and manage all the things we need to manage and, and be ever more a strategic partner for the whole finance function and the business and not just transaction-based treasury. I think what is uh, also very important is uh, to become really a catalyst and, and build bridges between the pure treasury function and the other parts of finance organization. Often, for instance, we are the, the entry point for fintechs to approach us and many times some products are not really really touching sometimes none of the points that we do in Treasury, but they are finance products and we can see the value. So it's important that we take this energy because it's not easy in big organization to try and find who are really the people that we can bring together and present to them and have them Unlock the value that can be in those products, which can be often disruptive for their KPIs, which can be disruptive in terms of technology, which can be, but where the bottom line, they can be huge benefits for the uh. corporation. And, and I think for me, the, the new function of, of a, of a treasurer is, of course, run the house properly, make sure processes are, are state of the art, make sure people develop properly, that, that we deliver on any activity, et cetera but also be really the partner for the whole of the finance function and and sometimes for things they don't know that they need, right? It's it's really Uh, 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 have them break the silos, break the silos within the finance function. uh, But it's maybe I'm a idealist person, right? But I think, and ever more I can see at Honeywell, for instance, our IT function being also more agile and uh, and being open to hear those topics. I think that's an important evolution of the role of the treasurer.
0: Well, I think I've heard described by a couple of other sort of treasurers that I've spoken to that it very much is sort of an ambassadorial role, you know, so you're the ambassador yes. for all this new technology is coming out the company. And a lot of the time the CFO is in the nicest way pushing the treasurer out in, in the front of it. And, you know, there's their shield, if you like, saying, right, can you assess it and tell us what's going to actually bring us value and what's not, you know, what should we be bringing on board and things? Because it's very, you know, treasury and it's its very nature is very forward focused so it sounds like that's really what you're embracing if you like
1: Exactly. And and with my new piece of role uh, of Global Treasury Lead for Technology, I think it's one of the things that I want to initiate. And it's not easy, right? We are away from from, uh, the head office, right? Lots of decisions are are taken over there. It's difficult in this huge organization to understand the process owners. The process owners themselves are sometimes disconnected from the base and not always knowing the real issues, the practical issues that the, the base are experiencing because they are focused on their object and their own vision. It's not easy, but it makes it, uh, for me, it's really, I have passion, so mm, <laughs> as mm, you can mm, maybe mm. hear. And it's really, uh, by looking, It's we have now so much wealth where you can look out of the box. And it's not a matter of improving your margin by 10 basis points, 20 basis points, but just by 5%, right? It's just, mm, it's just very disruptive, right? It's just, it's difficult because it means asking people to do things that are not assigned to them in an environment with a lot of pressure on cost and and very lean staffing I'm pretty sure things can be done Uh, Mm. you need to find the right people and build bridges build those bridges indeed be an ambassador and sometimes we we think there could be value and but we cannot know if there is value because it's not a process right so Mm. we can be wrong of course but at Mm. least we can give people the opportunity to save or not depending on the value
0: we're giving them options, aren't you? And I think, you know, one of the yeah, things exactly. that people, yeah, and people will listen to today's show and they'll, you know, you'll get that enthusiasm for you and your passion for it, which I, I know is infectious because when we have our catch-ups and coffees and things like that, you know, it, it's something you're really embracing. And I think people will listen to and say, oh, actually, you know, they will want you in their network. So one of the <laughs> things we will do is put in the show notes your uh, LinkedIn profile but as we discussed before the show and we do every week on the show when we wrap up, can you perhaps tell, you know, the audience, if they look back over your career and they say, Do you know what? That's I wanna be I wanna be like Severin. I wanna have that passion, but also have a career that follows in a similar fashion to you. What advice, you know, final pieces of closing advice would you give to people if they want to do the same as you? you know we spoke before about some of the other guests we've had sarah jane from gsk and mark from johnson controls and things but you've got some similar bits of advice but also some slight differences as well so perhaps you can explain those to the listeners as we wrap up today's show
1: sure the first one i guess you you will have uh, noticed it's really get out of your comfort zone mm don't miss an opportunity to learn whether it's from peers from the web from white papers there is plenty of of knowledge and of course take a bit of of your private lifetime maybe but it's so interesting invest in yourself invest in your your knowledge and Mm. don't be shy and don't censor yourself don't think oh no this I I cannot do honestly you would have asked me two years ago can you program RPA I would have said what? no (laughs) way but just give it a try and and you'll discover that you have unlimited uh, resources another thing I think very important is understand the market trends outside your company, in your company, where is the company moving, where is the strategy of the company moving and be sure that what you do is really aligned with your company strategy. Spend your time on what will, will add value and what will make a change. We all have some work that we just need to do that nobody will know and we know needs to take the, be done and it needs to be done, definitely. Mm-hmm. I don't. Say, it's not a matter of just doing what is high profile, but you need to always keep your focus and take the time because we tend to do things that... People are telling us are urgent and forget that this is important and there can be a lot of value there. So try really to have an alignment between your efforts and what is the strategy of the company and the market trend. Another thing that for me personally is probably not so typical in the market, I would say don't let your ego drive your life and your career. Often people have an idea, I want to be a manager, I want to be a director. Mm -hmm. But a director in one company may be a manager in another one and a manager in one company maybe a VP in another one. So really look what is behind the job. Will you learn? Will you be able to, to add the value? Will you yeah. have something interesting touching very different touching point does the whole job make sense for you for your family will you be happy doing that job if you're not happy you cannot perform well i don't believe in thinking oh i'm going to take this position for two three years i will hate it but it's good for my career Mm. it cannot be good for your career if you hate it i think you need really to ask questions and assess the the whole package Mm. what is Mm. the quality of the team how is the reporting line? Uh, what is How is the corporate culture? So I think that's really important. And forget about your ego. Maybe okay. you will have a better uh, evolution by doing something that which on paper does not look... As, as sexy but behind there is really meat to it mm. as a woman I would say choose your partner right and probably as a man too <laughs> <laughs> it's probably uh, someone that will think that your success is his or her success I think it's that supports you and is proud of you whatever you undertake I think it's mm. very mm. important as, as, as a strength have this, try to have this mix between understanding and shaping a strategy vision but don't forget to be pragmatic and detailed enough that you understand the nitty gritties and and can make things happen because if you stay at the strategic level you don't really make things happen if you stay at the lower level then you you don't know the direction then you also don't do don't make happen the right things to happen so try to have this right balance and generally speaking don't lose your your passion try to to like what you do love what you do you will have more convincing power and you will get people to move with you I would say the first things that I would think of as, as advice.
0: Amazing piece of advice there. So I've, I've been scribbling notes as I always do. So first of all, invest in yourself, number one. Number two, join in the strategy. So you know, align your personal and company strategy, get those two working together. One one of my favorites, don't be ego-driven. I think Mm. there are a couple of people out there that perhaps let their ego, as you say, ride over perhaps the practical constraints about their career. You know, perhaps think about it a bit more. And as you say, be pragmatic about your career. And the last one, as, as everyone will have heard, passion you know be passionate about your (laughs) career and people will join you on that journey and oh wow severin amazing thank you for your time today (laughs) i I think as i say we'll put your details in the show notes if people want to connect and you think it's right to have the network please connect with severin she's an amazing lady and you'll see by the host of different awards you know she really is a you know leader for treasury and and does lots of great stuff all remains for me to say is thank you very much for your time today you've been an absolute superstar
1: Thank you very much for your kind support.
0: Pleasure. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.
1: Thank you.